0: Red, violets are blue, and you're listening to the Disenfranchised Podcast. That's right, we're that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me, as always, that fool for love, it's my co host, Brett Wright. Brett, how are we doing?
1: Hello, Stephen.
0: What's going on, man? Not much. Right on. Uh and also joining us, uh the the man uh smitten and bitten by the arrow of Cupid, it's our good friend Tucker. Hey Tucker. Hello, Steven. How are we doing tonight, buddy?
2: I'm doing. I'm doing okay.
0: You I know you're thrilled to talk about the movie that we're talking about today, too. I so. am.
2: I actually am.
0: And joining us to talk, look, it's val- it's our Valentine's Day episode. You had to see it coming. After the last two years, we gotta keep tradition alive. From um, Pod in the Pendulum, from Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, from the the internet itself, it's our buddy Mike Snoonian back again. Mike, how's it going, buddy? Oh, it is going fantastic.
3: So thrilled to be here for a three-peat and keeping the Valentine tradition alive.
0: Don't call it a comeback. So you, uh, two years ago... Joined us as we recorded our episode on the 1981 My Bloody Valentine. True. Uh, You also joined us later that year in August to talk about Friday the 13th, the remake. And then the following February, joined us to talk about uh, the My Bloody Valentine remake. So I am one away
3: from getting basically the green jacket like when in snl you host five times mm-hmm. you go guest host five times you get the little jacket so that's
0: right i am so much looking forward to that that's right and we'll we'll definitely make sure that we ship that to you um priority mail which is to say uh it gets there when it gets there i don't know okay um but we'll, we'll definitely try to get you on a little sooner than uh than a year from now because it's been a year since the last time it you joined been. us and that that's too, i talk to you all the time because i i tend to show up on the pod and the pendulum relatively regularly mm. but uh but no our our listeners need to to hear you more frequently And oh, Mike, i'll just say this up top we did the
3: child's play remake together that's right we, that we... didn't
0: get released on our feed though oh, that was just okay I that was we just were... on your feed but yeah i thought we, we
3: were uh doing a co-feed on that
0: one i don't think we got the audio for that so we weren't able to release it on feed oh i fucked up <laughs> it's all good man tucker what's up buddy
2: Nothing. I I, accident, I was trying to mute myself because I was going to cough, and I accidentally hit the the raise my hand button. So please disregard.
0: Okay. Tucker cut all this out. Um, edit, no. Edit, yes.
2: Edit. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe.
0: Who knows? Tucker's our editor. Um, before he was our co-host, he was our editor. And before that, he wrote our theme song. Tucker's just... He's the guy that keeps the lights on around here, let's be honest. But, but Mike, I will say right up top, we would probably not be here to the extent that we are without you. Like you have been, I don't know if you know it, fairly instrumental in, in keeping us, keeping us around for as long as we have been. How so? so? Uh, I'm, you were like our third guest ever on the show. Um, one of the main reasons that we ended up getting exposure at all was because you put out a call for actors and I signed up and you, without knowing me from Adam, kind of pulled me in and, um, I, we actually just had someone sign up for our Patreon uh, recently. Hi, Brandy, who uh, joined and started listening to our podcast because she heard me on yours. So, oh.
3: well, honestly, like between the two shows, and we're not massive by any stretch. Um, I mean, psychoanalysis has a pretty nice reach to it. And I am mm-hmm. really proud of the pod and the pendulum. I, I like helping others out. I think if you have a platform where you can do that, you, should especially in the horror community and if you don't do that then shame on you so thank right you that means a lot i'm super glad that that helps
0: yeah no and absolutely like i i i attribute a lot of our success to 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 your to your assist um so no it's it's always and it's it's always you're just you're you're such a great guy to talk to so oh. it's always nice to have you on man i always i always love talking with you that's very sweet i oh. will definitely I mean, ship you I mean those it, blu-rays no. i owe you tomorrow now then I it's... will. It's whenever, ask. man. It's okay. I'm just recording an episode on one of those I, movies with you, like, later this week. <laughs> I
3: just found a T-shirt I bought for my old co-host, Lindsay, at the te- from the Telluride Horror Show that I bought her in 2021. I just found that today in my drawer, and I'm like, whoops, I still need to ship that to her. Sorry,
0: Lindsay. Friend of the show, Lindsay Travis. Love, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But yeah, I'll, I I don't know. I think I think the purge is treatment somewhere, so I'll I'll figure it out. No worries. Um, but because it is Valentine's Day, we no longer there are no more my bloody Valentine movies for us to discuss. So, Mike, what movie are unfortunately Mike, no, really. what movie are we talking about tonight? We are talking
3: the two thousand one, kind of the tail end of the second wave of
0: slasher movies, uh, Valentine, directed by Jamie Blanks. Directed by Jamie Blanks and written by uh, Donna and Wayne Powers, based on a novel by Tom Savage. A thing I did not know, and was really, really, I felt that was weird information to know. Um, and starring Denise Richards, David Boreanaz, Marley Shelton, Jessica Capshaw, Jessica Caulfield, uh, Caulfield, excuse me, Catherine uh, Heigl, uh, Hetty Burris, Fulvio Cesare, Daniel Cosgrove. Gentlemen, what a cast! what a picture
2: what a I, I don't know if i can say that for either honestly <laughs> what a what a something that was on my tv
0: <laughs> so so tucker i get the i get the distinct impression that you're not fond of 2001's valentine
2: i got to say uh i'm known as a lover of garbage films and i just I can't find anything that does it for me in this movie. Like nothing at all. Like the whole time I was just like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) Like people would talk and things would happen. And I'm, I keep checking the time and I'm like, how is there still an hour and 15 minutes left? I've been here 12 hours. (laughs) Wow. So needless to say, Needless to say, no, I didn't enjoy (laughs) anything about this movie. In fact, my favorite part of this movie, this is going to be a little, a little cliche and I apologize, but my favorite part of this movie is the credits. I was hoping you'd all say it with me. That's why I like, I paused. I, I, I just,
0: I almost, see my, my, I was going to (laughs) like undercut it, but I decided not to, I didn't, I didn't want to ruin that for you. What you should do is go and insert a rim shot right after that. The credits. (laughs)
3: So aside from that, Mrs. Kennedy, how was Dallas?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'd also like to say, as a disclaimer, uh, I thoroughly hated this movie, but I am very excited and happy to be here to talk to somebody who does like it, because I legitimately don't understand why anyone would like it. So, well, I'm, I'm strapped in. I'm ready to go.
3: I've also found sometimes talking about movies that you don't like can be a lot of fun. Um, and not in a way where it's, like, let's just trash this movie for however long we're on, but just, like, there's always, like, some fun things to dive into as to, like, maybe why something didn't work. So It's
0: like a cathartic agree, yeah. experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie came out the year I graduated high school. And as someone who – and, again, I've said this on multiple podcasts many times uh, – is very late to the horror genre just as a whole – um, did not engage with this movie until literally last night. Uh, I'd never seen it. I didn't know much about it. I knew most people, uh, that I had talked to really didn't care for it, but I knew it kind of had a, a small cult following is particularly the more I've become engaged and involved with the horror community, particularly through shows like the pod and the pendulum. So, uh, I, I knew this kind of had like a kind of a cult following to it, but I had never engaged with this movie before. Uh, Mike, when was the first time you encountered this movie? And, um, how uh how has it uh grown or diminished in your estimation since uh opening weekend at the theaters definitely on. caught this um was this a date movie for you then i
3: believe it was because i would have been dating i was in like the mid midway through like a two-year relationship when okay this had come out so the downward traject- tra- tra- trajectory so i would like and to so this was the beginning say. of the end basically no what you're, what no you're well, oh, okay I'm sure it was far before that <laughs> <Okay>. um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was wow. it was opening weekend because it was a slasher movie that was out, and also like I was a huge, oh, still am like a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, so I knew David Boreanaz from uh, obviously Buffy. I don't think I was watching Angel yet. I don't think I started really watching that religiously until i bought like the first couple seasons on dvd and then seasons three through five like were must-see television for me um and i just like slasher movies like any this is like a comfort horror period for me everything from scream to and i would say this is probably one of the last dying gasps of that like second wave of slashers like this seems to be the end point Mm -hmm. um I just really enjoyed a lot of them. They definitely weren't as nasty or gory as the '80s slashers, and they definitely right. didn't have as much, you know, of the stuff that teen me liked, like you know, a lot of nudity and a lot of sex. Um, maybe too much sex in this movie for the current Gen Z generation that seems to think if you're showing more than ankle, that is a crime against humanity, and they didn't consent to that. Um, the pure, the puritanical oh Generation God. Z. Oh my goodness! Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like I in watching it now, like it is not by any means like a phenomenal movie. Like it's a solid three star movie for me. But I think it's a lot of fun. I actually really like the cast a lot, and I find like it's a very sex positive movie. Uh, you're finding in this movie like you're. It's basically centers all on women which you don't typically find in a slasher movie. And they are all women that own their sexuality as well. And I think a very kind of like positive, encouraging way. Um, A couple, and I think it also has some of the nastiness from the 80s as well. Like some of that actually does creep in here. I love the design of the killer in this movie. Big same. It's just, you know, we'll talk more about it. I get into all the reasons as we discuss the movie, but I just kind of find it's a bit of a hoot.
0: Right on. Brett, when did you first uh, discover uh, t- 2001's Valentine?
1: Also opening weekend.
0: Nice. Okay. And what, are you, what were your thoughts on it then? What are your thoughts on it now?
1: Um, at the time, as a... Uh, I mean, this is I've talked about this sort of thing before. <clears throat> not proud of it, but at the time as a bullied, lonely teenager, mm. really rooted for the killer, mm. um, really identified with the killer. Um, nowadays though, you know, 20 years later, um, I hated this movie just about as much as Tucker did. So,
0: I mean, time, time is <laughs> a great healer. Time is uh, time, time and perspective change a lot of things for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think what happened to that character at the beginning of the movie is deplorable on every level. Um, does that excuse murder? No,
1: <laughs>
0: but um, you know, I, I think they—they well,
1: they... <laughs> I mean, we've all seen Carrie. We rooted for Carrie, didn't we? <laughs> Touche.
0: Mike, the school psych- uh, the school, the school psychologist is going
1: well.
0: Um, who teaches a six-week <laughs> anti-bullying? course to all <laughs> sixth graders oh let's just hope your students don't find this episode <laughs> um and uh, and tucker what about you
2: oh hey uh yeah um i bought this uh blind at blockbuster uh probably a couple months after it came out on video mm-hmm. you know they had to get rid of get rid of all those extra new release copies Mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure i bought it for a dollar there were a whole bunch of them in the bin um and i just bought it because you know i i like slasher movies and i recognized denise richards from something but i don't remember what i recognized James her Bond? From at that point I wild things that shit wild things no That's i don't no watch that things. shit either <laughs> i was gonna say i think cover. look
0: i think we all at least have seen two or three scenes from wild things okay well, even if we haven't seen the escape. entire movie
2: it is impossible to escape, and so I took it home and I put it in my v c r and I watched it, and then I took it out of my v c r and I put it in the trash. <laughs> wow, now, twenty years later, what I would have done different is I would have found a way to recycle it instead of throwing it in the garbage,
0: <laughs> so or again, I just
2: I'd give it to Mike, I'd give it to Mike
0: there you go, yeah. Just, you know, wrap it wrap it up and, and mail it mail it to... Uh, actually, Mike's probably not that far from you. You guys are both in New England, so... Oh! There you go,
2: yeah.
0: Starship Troopers. I'm into that's, it, yeah. That's where you saw Denise Richards, probably.
2: Oh, yes! Thank you! Mm. Thank
0: you. That is yes. where I saw her. You saw a lot of Denise Richards in that she's, movie.
2: She's the pilot gal. Yes. She is. Yeah.
0: You don't see a lot of
3: Denise Richards in that movie. You see the other young lady, a lot of her in that movie. I mean, yeah, the, the, there, there's the, the shower scene. Lady? You see a lot yeah, of everybody in that shower in scene. She's not in the shower scene, though. She's on the other Is show. Is she not? No. Oh. No, no she she's... gets
2: naked when her and Casper Van Dien do it. Finally. But
3: that's not Finally. Her, that's not Denise Richards, though. No, that's it's, not Denise Richards. No, no, I'm talking about the... Diz. The, curly the curly-haired haired girl. gal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, Whose name completely escapes me, and I feel like a terrible human being yeah. for not remembering her name. <laughs> um, yeah, and so now I'm going to look that up. Everyone's favorite segment on this show, Steven, looks something up in real time.
3: That's another disenfranchise.
0: Oh, actually, it is a franchise. No, that one it got so franchise. many direct-to-DVD yeah. sequels. Dina and Meyer. Dina Meyer I, is who that is.
2: I'd like to defend the second one, if I may. I don't know if any of you have seen Starship Troopers 2. I stopped at one, man. So you're the guy it's, that's seen it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the guy that's seen it, and I'm also the only person who likes it, apparently. Um, but Remember when Tucker said of,
0: earlier that he, like, unabashedly loves garbage movies case in point
2: so starship troopers 2 um instead of being a big open world action romp it's a secluded little low-budget zombie movie Mm -hmm. it takes Hmm. place in the base it tells you what happens to the base that they go to at the end of the movie in the first one tells you what happened there and it all takes place in that little base and it's like the bugs like like enter the people's brains and control them it's kind of like the thing and kind of a zombie movie at the same time and it's not terrible i think i really like it because it's so so different it's like it's the sequel that you wouldn't double feature with hmm. because they're so insanely different
0: but i recommend I was gonna it to say, all of you it's it's amazing to me that they took a movie about space nazis um and turned that into a franchise somehow that is Wild to me, and still managed to continue making the space Nazis the heroes throughout the rest of the franchise. Wild.
3: Well, it's funny because a little connection here to the pod and the pendulum we just talked Phantasm Ravager and mm. Don Cass Coscarelli, like one of his favorite movies, is Starship Troopers. And um, David Hartman, who directed Ravager. Uh, went he worked on Starship Troopers, with, and it was actually he worked on the animated series Roughnecks, um, the Starship Troopers animated show. So that's how he and Don Coscarelli kind of met up, and he went on later on to develop and direct Ravenger. So little okay. little pod mingling right there.
2: Nice. I own that movie, but I still haven't watched it. Like I know, I I know that I'm gonna like it because it's Phantasm, but I just I haven't found time. Yeah. It's on my menu, guys. I Mike just it.
0: like popped his 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 Phantasm cherry like the, over the past few weeks yeah. oh
2: nice he nice. he'd
0: never seen I think any of them but the first one just before, the first right? two yeah yeah first two okay. Yeah. Ravenger is uh
3: they should have stopped at Oblivion.
2: <laughs> just <to say> that. <laughs> I, I'm curious to see it now that, now that you say that because I can oh, I can. Like, I can always excuse a Phantasm movie. If a Phantasm movie is bad, as long as Reggie's there, like, I'm good.
3: He is. It. It. Half of it was shot for the internet, and it's kind of like an extended oh. fan film.
2: It's, oh, no. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm going to watch it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can't stop you. Well, I have to. I bought it. Like, I, I own it, so I can't just not watch it.
0: I mean, you, you don't. There's no law saying you have to watch it. My own Actually, personal rules.
3: In Biden's America, there is. Everyone must watch.
2: I'm not going to miss that legislation
3: a passing. They snuck that into the Inflation Reduction Act at the last second.
0: Oh, was that what it was? Yeah. Damn it. Okay. Dark. Well, I guess I got to get to City of God then. Mm-hmm. Rats. I was hoping well, to put that on. You can that borrow that if longer. you want, Stephen. I, I own it. I don't need to. I've owned it for years and have never watched it because it's kind of one of those like. I'm going to want to watch this one day and when I want to watch it, I want to know that I have it. But until that day, it's going to sit right there on my shelf, right next to citizen Kane. And that's Twinsies. all we're going to say about it.
2: Twenties As far as Ravenger goes.
0: Yeah. I've got, I've actually got a few like that. Basically every criterion movie I buy, I'm like, I'm going to get to you one day.
2: Oh, that's a shame.
0: I, I still have not engaged with Kijlowski's Decalogue because I don't have 10 hours to kill. But one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to do it. I believe in you. I believe in me, too. Um, and speaking of believing in me, uh, we're talking about the movie Valentine. And uh, I don't know if uh, you believe in the cherub, but the cherub believes in you. Or uh, as the tagline of this film says, uh, uh, remember the uh, remember the kid everyone uh, what was it, uh, ignored on Valentine's Day? He remembers you. Uh, and that kid is Jeremy Melton. Uh, who is, uh, spoiler, the name of the killer in this movie. Um, before we dig too much deeper into this, I think we should discuss the plot of 2001's Valentine. And for that, we go to a segment of the show that we call The Plot in 60 Seconds. This is where uh, one of us, at the usually at the behest of the either the coin or the die of justice, uh, will uh, recount the plot in 60 seconds or less. But... Because we have our friend Mike Snoonian on, he has graciously volunteered to deliver the plot in those self-same 60 seconds. Um, Mike, are you ready? I think I'm good. All right. I am going to put 60 seconds on the clock. I will give you the 30 and the 10 second warnings. Your time starts whenever you start speaking. A nerd catches both rejection and a beatdown in the junior high school dance. We
3: cut to a decade later, and Catherine Hegel has the date from hell and then gets got while she's doing an autopsy by our Cupid killer. We meet the dead girl's super hot, sex positive friend soon afterward at her funeral, and we also meet Detective Bald Guy at the funeral. We also meet the uh, lead's sweet but kind of alcoholic boyfriend. All the red herrings come together. A scam artist uh, that is like working over the ultra rich daddy's girl. 30 and seconds. the sketchy neighbor. Oh shit. The women uh, get threats disguised as Valentine's, and one of them gets off after turning down a surprise threesome from her skeezy boyfriend artist. The dude looks kind of like a mix of late 90s James Vanderdeek and Colin Farrell. If they got in the machine from the fly, you know he's bad news. R.I.P. Lily, you were 10 a 10 seconds. Fuck. Everyone seems to remember Jeremy Melton from 6th grade when it comes to these murders. Sketchy cop hits on Denise Richards, but can you blame him? Creepy and that neighbor. is time! Oh no, do I keep going here?
0: Go ahead, go ahead, finish up. We, got, we gotta we know how it ends. Creep- we gotta know how it
3: ends. The creepy neighbor breaks into Mary Shelton's apartment to try on her high heels and fishnets, and he gets an iron to the skull by our killer for his efforts. There is a – oh, the rich girl and the scam artist have bedroom issues, so he goes to the basement to get an axe to the head. We have a massive party at a mansion because Scream was only five years ago. Uh, Denise Richards pours wax on a date's junk after he pulls a surprise, it's my penis move, and then demands that she waxes it. Just want to say some men do pay good money for this privilege. That's all I'm Mm -hmm. saying. All the remaining sketchy dudes are converging together. Alcoholic boyfriend starts drinking again, and there are some murders, including a pretty fantastic hot tub piece. The remaining two girls bicker, and then, holy shit, it's Cupid face. We get the obligatory final girl discovers all the bodies of her dead friends, while she mentally starts Googling therapists, and then drunk boyfriend shoots Cupid, who happens to just be buffalo girl slash rich girl from the intro, but wait, is it? uh his bloody nose at the end of the movie gives him away as the killer
0: and scene that is 2001's valentine what a what a picture guys what a picture uh so tucker brett you guys are not fans of this movie
2: uh, can i say um based on what you said about the plot i have two things that i'd like to bring up just really quickly before i forget about them um because this movie tends to like fart itself out of my brain at small increments <laughs> after i watch it um how is the detective not veronica mars's dad
0: i thought so too oh i man. did too how's yeah. that not him I'm like, is that I Enrico have... Colantoni? And then I'm like, no, that's not Enrico no, Colantoni, but it could be. It's just some
2: other dude. It's his brother, I think. His that's that's Fulvio
0: Cesare the, is, is the Luigi... name.
3: <laughs> the Luigi to Enrico's Mario. Exactly, <laughs> yes, yes,
0: yes. yes. Yeah, uh, or, or the Mario all... to his Mario.
2: Uh, maybe. Uh, second of all, I can't believe they killed Denise Richards, you guys. I kind of, like, I kind of thought that she was going to make it. It was kind of, mm-hmm. it was kind of, I was kind of, I was a bit taken aback that they just took her out like that but at least she gets
0: the iconic death of the movie though
2: and here's the thing about that so-called iconic death oh boy like okay so he shuts the lid right right and latches it Mm -hmm. eventually she's just gonna run out of air so he pokes holes in it Mm-hmm. And then when he drills, she clearly has her hand or, or her, her mouth on one of the mm-hmm. holes. Mm-hmm. You've already got a hole there, bro. You've already got a hole. Just use that same hole. You don't even have to throw the whatever in it that shocks the shit out of her.
3: Just so that's why blah. I like that death scene is because it takes you on a bit of a journey. It's not super obvious. Like, yes, you have the she's just going to run out of air or drown. And then it's like, oh, we're going to start drilling holes into her. And then he's like, ah, I got shit to do. And then just electrocutes her. I kind of like how it does so he's, all of those things. So he's
2: like super, super ADHD, I guess. Yeah. I always thought of it as him just making really bad decisions one after another, not realizing that she's already dead. Like you close the lid, you latch it, she's already dead. But you then you got the her, James Bond problem. Dead.
0: Like You got the James Bond problem. Like if you just leave her in there, like to run out of air, like she'll get out. Like James Bond always gets out. And the, if we the, the don't trick see them we...
2: die, they might still be alive.
0: No body, no death. That's the rule, right? I guess so. So I'm mean, and yeah, you could, but then that's that's Driller Killer, man. Driller Killer's been done. Um, so you gotta.
2: And I'm sure he was. He, every incarnation of the Driller Killer, um, was thrilled. Mm-hmm. At this portrayal, P- port uh, must edit <laughs> Por- portrayal portrayal. Oh. <laughs> Yes, thank you. No um, a killer that drills.
3: Nope. Is it the driller killer from the second movie though? Like an Elvis impersonator that like breaks into song. So and he
2: sings a lot. The drill is a guitar.
3: Yeah. So I mean,
2: <laughs> you, you guys speaking. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike.
3: He doesn't have a lot. Like he can't really poke fun at anybody else when that's your when your shtick is like fourth rate Elvis.
2: I don't know. I think it's kind of rad to have a guitar drill. Like how does that even work? Like how do you get the electronics cuz there's, you know, you got wires and and chips and stuff inside of your guitar body if it's an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. And then you can't have like a hollow neck. Usually you have a truss bar in the neck that you tighten to to straighten the neck. If you have a drill in there then it's constantly moving. So this guy I... is so much of a genius that he figured that shit out so that he could weedly wee or, and, drill away.
0: And, I think and hear me out on this, Eddie it's Van... just a movie and you're probably overthinking yeah. it. But I think nah. also Eddie Van
3: Halen pulled off that trick on the song Pound Cake uh, from Van, the Van Hagar period on the Four Unlawful Carnival Knowledge album. The first single, signal, signal, single off that album. Please <laughs> edit that, Tucker. Uh, <laughs> Pound Cake starts with like a drilling guitar sound. So
0: there we go.
2: But is it an actual drill?
0: As far as you know?
2: Yes. Attached to the Okay. You're right, concede. I am overthinking it. I concede.
0: I you should just repeat to yourself it's just a show. I should really just relax.
2: Just that's I'm just relaxing, man.
0: Yeah. Just mm, just chill out. But
2: but speaking of um Slumber Party Massacre, you guys, the remake. Which, have you totally guys seen we the remake?
3: No. I've bought it and I just need to sit down and watch
2: it. Did you oh, buy so the that's KHS?
1: your City of God. <laughs> Answer both of
2: those questions
3: simultaneously. <laughs> I have
0: not
2: seen City of
3: God. Uh, I bought it when it was like $4.99 video on demand. They were running like a good sale on it. I'm like, mm. I'll buy oh, this for nice. five bucks.
2: I saw it on... Um, it was distributed by Sci Fi Channel. Um, so yep. they put an edited version on TV. So I saw it when it aired. And then um, this... Uh, company called whittier entertainment they make licensed vhs copies of movies that fit the format and this movie fits the format i gotta say like it's a really good i think it's really good and you guys should see it but if you can watch it in four by three pan and Hmm. scan
0: interesting uh, okay i am i am like just ethically opposed to, to pan and scan if i can help it
2: no, like I've always said, some films really lend themselves to that format, and I think Pan and Scan is no different. I mean, it may not have been the director's vision, but sometimes it works. This is it, but it looks like this. You guys, check that out. That's cool, right? Yeah, yeah, it's got it. What
3: the old school clamshell? The good thing yep. about because podcasting is a very visual medium,
0: exactly. So... Yeah. yeah, that's
2: why that's... I went and got it. Yeah, so yeah. Could...
0: That, we 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 regularly have show and tell segments on I am on the show. A prick. Sorry, <laughs> no, it's fine. I always look. I'm glad you called it out, so I don't have to. Quite frankly, um, but yeah. So I mean. Brett, you and and Tucker have come on record as as not being particularly fond of this movie. Uh, as someone who was once, um, at one time, at least a little more positive on it, Brett, um, where did where were where? <clears throat> clap it out, Stephen. What were your sticking points this time around, if I may ask?
1: Um, I mean, I'll echo Tucker's sentiment about it being boring. Um, I saw it. I. It's bad when I have to keep, also, I, the bad one I have to keep asking myself, like, what is the time frame here? Like, when is this scene happening after this scene? It feels like this is, like, days later. Is it days later? I can't really tell. <clears throat> um, oh, my God. When they eat
2: the chocolates with the worms, like, it's like, is that a flashback? What's going on there? Yeah. Like I the editing so. is just insane in this movie. Sorry, the Brett, go ahead. Is... I just had to no, like no, add no, that no. to it.
1: Thank you. I, I appreciate explaining it better than I was. Um uh, what else? Um with the exception of the hot sub kill, I thought all the kills were boring. Um
0: The shower kill to me was pretty great, I thought.
1: That's the first one I think of. How many people's faces? How many people's faces have been driven into a piece of glass over the course of horror history?
0: I don't know, man. I'm fairly new to this genre. Thirty-six.
1: I knew my in a row.
0: I- <laughs> <laughs> Try not
3: to shove anyone's face through some glass in the way in the parking lot.
1: <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, that's I mean that's that's most of it. Um, I mean, I can say that it does have one redeeming quality: the line that, "Well, he's not an angel." Yeah, because nah. See nah. what they did there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, a line I my...
0: legitimately did not even catch.
2: Uh, once again, for this visual medium of a podcast, everybody, this is my impression of David Boreanaz. A That's spiky his hair. hair.
0: Tucker is holding four fingers um, above his uh, above, uh, basically on his forehead.
2: It's it's a reverse Rick James. This is Rick James. <laughs>
0: Holding four fingers down this over is, his eyes. This is David Boreanis. <laughs> holding four fingers straight up off of his forehead.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, look, man, is- that was uh, again, it was the style at the time. All the Much product like-
2: that was in his hair should have gotten a credit on the movie.
0: It did. Like, did you not did you not stay for the whole credits?
2: It was like uh David Boreanaz's hair, AquaNet. Like this. <laughs>
3: I think we're forgetting the early aughts, late nineties, early aughts yes. stylings. Exactly, yes. No, oh, no, I would I could never forget. Air
0: gel was everything in the in the late late nineties, early aughts, was. man. There
3: is, is it Drowning Pool or Disturbed that we hear on the soundtrack in at the party? Uh, that's oh, disturbed, I that's believe. Disturbed, yeah, okay. There's some
1: others, Lincoln Park. I think I yeah. heard a couple other so
3: we're deep
0: Manson. in our new metal we're deep in our new
3: Static metal. X. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, New Metal farting all over this movie. I and as someone who's not a fan of New Metal. Same. Clearly
1: you just called it farting all over it. Yeah. Oh Lord Steven. Come on, man. Oh, hey. Static X is cool, but other
2: than that, I could leave this whole soundtrack behind.
0: You don't like the uh, the Marilyn Manson track written specifically for this movie?
2: I don't. I've never liked Marilyn Manson. And in fact, like it's almost like I don't want to say that I was
1: right, but I always kind of thought he was a dick. Never liked no. agreed. Agreed. Yeah, as someone who loved that genre of music in the early 2000s, I also never liked Marilyn Manson. I never understood the. I never understood the hype.
0: And as someone who was raised uh, religious. I think we all know how I probably felt about him. You? Yeah.
1: You, Stephen? You were hated raised? it just straight just... out of hand. Yeah. Right,
0: yep. Not ever having listened to it, I was just like, I hate it on principle. Uh, yep. That. Sounds like you still do. Because that's, that's what religion does to you, people. See, I
3: think Boreanis is a really... He can be very charming as an actor. Mm-hmm. He's someone that has... I mean, you watch his early appearances in buffy and there's not Mm. a lot there there aside from like looking very good and i'm someone that's watched all of angel probably two or three times and i think by Mm. that third by the middle of the second season like you can really feel him kind of coming into his own as a performer agreed someone that's like he's had like a two decade three decade career and Television now, like people watch his shit. I mean, I don't. He's got
0: like three shows that have been on for multiple seasons at least.
3: I mean, I didn't really watch Bones. I think he's on one of those CBS kind of like SWAT. I think is the show he's on right now, sure, which is just not my jam. Um, Seal Team. It's called Seal Team. There it is. Again, six of one, man. It's (laughs) it's all the same. Um, he just doesn't really have a lot to do here. I think is Mm -hmm. one of the problems of the movie. He's not. They don't give him, like, the Stu Mocker, Billy Loomis in Scream where he gets to be a character. Here, he's just doing—he's really playing Angel in this show. Like, he's just brooding and kind of lurking in the background. But with worse dialogue. Right. And they just saddle him with a, like, he might be an alcoholic uh, for reasons. Like, it's never really—doesn't really play into anything in the movie whatsoever. Right. I do love the look of the Cupid Killer. Like I love the black gloves, the pea coat, that Absolutely. that mask. I do think that's a pretty not an iconic look, like we're not, let's not get crazy here. No. But no. for a I would take that look over say I know what you did last summer. Dude, mm-hmm. who's like um cosplaying as like a Gordon's Fish Stick box cover like this is much would... cooler of a look.
2: I would argue that at least he doesn't look ridiculous because I think this killer, like, I don't know how they shrunk whoever's head who's wearing the mask, but he looks like a Goomba from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Like his head is way (laughs) too small for his body. He got
0: these big shoulders and a little bitty head. See our very first episode ever of this podcast, Super Mario Brothers. Um, Actually, uh the, the person in the cherub mask was the son of one of the producers. Hmm. Um, big
2: dude, little head.
0: Yeah. great problem with that. Tiny. I'm just well, saying but here's the for thing. me, the, the it doesn't it's
2: not uh, I don't like it.
0: The peacoat also has like the the shoulders. So you've also got like the, the defined shoulders of the peacoat there, which I think accentuates the, the tininess of that head in the mask. Um but no, I, I agree with you, Mike. I think the look of the killer is very it's very striking, very creepy. Um I think the cherub killer look is I think at least a somewhat successful update of the Michael Myers look, where you've got kind of the 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 and Brett's given me the eyebrow right now. Um where you've got like the the mask with the very simple, sleek just costume design. It's it's a very similar idea, at least in execution. Um, now your mileage may vary on that, but I think at least in terms of the design of the character, they're very similar.
1: Man, I think that, that. I don't <laughs>
0: think it is though. <laughs> I think it is.
2: I don't know. I I completely disagree with you guys. I think it looks like garbage, but uh, I I appreciate your opinions. And I just want to say that I think The Hills Run Red did a better cherub sure. killer thing
1: i'm not um, familiar this with one that just
2: one. i i just thought it was really silly and it just looked really dumb I, i'm yeah, okay it, with but i appreciate i appreciate Whoa well, that i agree with that too i appreciate your perspective though is what i was trying to say
3: i mean to me Respect. i think of like the killer mask in happy death day and i think mm-hmm. that you know christopher landon might have liked Hold a little bit from this in terms of like that style of mask. I think the two are very similar overall. And that's also like a very silly looking mask as well. And I'm okay with the juxtaposition of having something that is like a bit goofy. And I do appreciate in the bullying scene, you see like three or four kids that are wearing that mask at the dance. So, oh yeah, I did notice one without it really being, they don't call attention to it so that later on in the movie when he's wearing it like unless you caught that in the first scene you wouldn't really have a reason but i do like that little attention to detail it doesn't quite go over the top which is great i think the whole ensemble though Like i'm a big fan of the peacoat and the black gloves i just think that as a complete ensemble that looks great now if you had that mask and he was wearing giant cupid wings and a tutu maybe I'm like, okay, we could have made some different choices here. But as a whole, I think that's a pretty striking look.
2: Can you imagine how difficult it was to get Homegirl in that coat after he knocked her out at the end? Like, that's a big... Like, you'd have to lay it out on the ground and, like, lay her on it. And, God, it's just a nightmare.
1: So here's the thing. Um, So, I mean, obviously, when in this movie, knowing how it ended... So I was looking for stuff and I caught a couple scenes where it looks like maybe they were collaborating and especially some of the kills. Hmm. Some of the people that get killed seem more like she would kill them and he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And they give each other looks sometimes, especially the last look that they have at the near the end of the movie. It looks like they're working together and he just kills her before she can say anything. The scream five look, yeah.
0: which I mean, that I like that. And again as a post scream movie that would not be out of place either to have that as as part of your twist. Now whether or not that was part of the original script or not, I can't say, but I th- I think that would be an interesting development for sure.
2: I wonder I wonder if there's a commentary on the DVD release because I'd be interested. To I believe to there that is.
0: Sure. Um, I was going to say you have the Shout Factory blue, yeah, I picked right? up the, the Shout Factory, Factory, Factory
3: the Scream Factory blue which has a lot of great bonus features on it including a nice little featurette with denise richards going back and talking about oh, the nice. movie i i believe there's a commentary on it as well um i would be fascinated to know if that was the case and it was just excise for timing reasons or um pacing or whatnot because that is i didn't get that at all that they were working together so i kind of like that that you picked up on that
1: and just because is... I mean, it, oh, sorry, it seems ahead. so obvious to me because of the people that are killed and when they're killed.
0: Yeah, the um, I, and again, post Scream, that doesn't seem like that big of a stretch. Particularly because that's kind of one of the hallmarks of the Scream movies is, with the exception of three, there's always more than one killer. There are yeah. always two. So it and and with every kind of horror slasher movie, even non slasher movies, kind of trying to pick up some of the juice and some of the steam off of the Scream movies, it feels like that's something that they might include but may have cut for time or or, or some other reason.
1: So that's the other thing I didn't like, is I think there's a lot in this movie that was cut for time. There's a lot that is not fleshed out. There's a lot that doesn't make any sense. Like, David Boreanaz's character falls off the wagon for seemingly no reason.
0: Right. But still manages to keep it together enough to actually kill a bunch of people later.
1: Yeah, I don't... Do
2: you want to be longer, though, not really.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, but maybe, maybe I don't know. He, maybe if it fleshed out more edited, stuff, yeah, and was better exactly. edited and more sensical right. and not nonsensical, maybe I would like it more. Maybe and if it was longer, kind of, I would like it more. It's fair, fair.
3: And I would, I would say, like the the falling off the wagon is probably a bit of a red herring. It's meant to draw attention away from that, and I don't know if he's playing it up at that point so that hmm. he can kind of slip away so that um, Kate will kind of leave him alone so he can go off and do the murders at that point as well. So I don't know if he's... I don't think that he's, like, drinking at that those points in the movie per se. Okay.
2: Side note, there is an audio commentary on that Blu-ray with the director and Don Coscarelli. Oh! But, caveat, it's one of those moderated commentaries, so more than likely you're just going to hear an interview instead of like them sure. actually watching the movie and being like, Oh, this happened there. And I kind of hate those. They did that on a uh, return of the killer tomatoes. And I was just really disappointed because yeah. I wanted them to go, I wanted them to go through it and like, but instead it's just like a general interview and it kind of sucks. So you gotta that's, let us know how that is. That's what because the, I'd be interested in hearing it. Honestly,
3: the Texas chainsaw remake is like that. The commentary mm-hmm. in that is a bunch of like panels and commentary. Um, individual interviews that are spliced in and it doesn't work like about 20 minutes. And I'm like, dad, nah, I can't, can't hang with this. Um, I kind of keep meaning to reach out to Jamie blanks. Who's really active on Twitter and just like inviting him on one of the two shows. And I would love to pick his brain. Cause he really does like this movie in urban legend. And then he leaves Hollywood. Like he moves back to Australia Basically so he can raise his family, and he does a lot of work in composing over the next couple decades. And I like Urban Legend more than this movie. Like, I really love Urban Legend. Uh, Mm. Rebecca Gayhart, her Pamela Voorhees reveal, just, she completely goes for it. And it's one of the best completely unhinged reveals of that second wave of slashers. I think he, and he got his start, not maybe his start, but he filmed a mock trailer for I Know What You Did Last Summer back when that project was announced, and they actually, in the movie, pulled a lot of story beats from that trailer, it seems. But he was given Urban Legend after that. I love Urban Legend, and I think that he's a student of slasher movies. And when you look at what he... this For all its flaws, this movie and Urban Legend I think are the closest things you get... To those eighty slashers, when you look at the nineteen ninety six to two thousand one period of slasher movies, which are a lot lighter in
0: tone and fair, right? One of the things that I think this film got a lot of criticism for at the time of its release was that it was just a by the numbers eighty slasher movie. But to to hear Jamie Blanks tell it, that's the point. That's yeah. why he made this movie. Like he wanted to create his own version of the 80s slasher movie. And there he is This movie does seem to have those things in common with, like, the original My Bloody Valentine, for example. Like, it's got, like, a lot of the the, the kind of similar things to, to go with another Valentine one-and-done slasher. Like, it seems to have kind of a lot of of parallels there. Like, even the kills are nastier than what you would normally see in a slasher movie of this period. Like, the, the girl who gets her face, like... Like, her jaw rammed into those, like, shards of glass sticking up in the shower. Like, you don't see shit like that. Because, again, for all all that Scream does very well, it's not gory. And so that was one of the things, well. That first one's pretty gory.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Steven just coming
2: with a hot takes this whole episode. like in yeah. the first five minutes, the guts spill out, Homegirl okay. like gets stabbed right. through the chest, but hung I, from the tree, your intestines fucking flying in the, 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 the wind. For some reason like
3: I
0: it. always forget how gory that but, first kill is. You
3: know, you know what it is, Steven? I think the movies that came after Scream that Scream gets associated with are very tame by comparison. I mean, you watch Halloween H two O and that movie could be PG thirteen. Like there's no reason for that movie to be an R-rated movie. Uh, right. That movie could be almost be PG. Um, it's f- a fairly tame affair altogether. I would say a lot of, a lot of slasher movies from this era are much much tamer in terms of the violence than the peak of uh, slasher films from the 80s. As far as like not making sense goes. I mean, go back and watch something like The Prowler, which I love Joe Vito's The Prowler, but that's not a movie that makes a lot of logical sense in terms of where characters are at or like the killer's reveal is like what we're doing what and why now. But I will defend that movie to the death because it's a fun, gory, silly piece of 80s cheese. And I think you're right, Stephen. That's kind of what Blanks is is reacting to here based on the movies that had come out before this one
0: and it feels like he's trying to have it both ways like he's trying to do the scream thing and trying to do the 80s thing, and maybe the scream thing is just something imposed upon him by the producers um which seems that that might be the case because i feel like there were a few battles that he fought on this film that he didn't win and i think urban legend was kind of the same way like there were some things in that movie that he didn't like like um one thing in this movie that he didn't like was the uh the notion that the the in the very opening the the very first kill of the movie when the the corpse swaps out with the killer like that was something he didn't want to do he didn't like that he didn't think it was necessary but there was a producer on set that day who'd said oh well, you should do this and so he did it and he didn't like it and it got a lot of criticism after the fact so he was just like it it makes no sense like logistically how does that even work um it doesn't so yeah, that was that was kind of his overall feeling on the matter. But yeah, on Valentine, you mean when they the autopsy scene? Yeah,
3: I really like that scene. Okay, I, not, I well, Jamie Blanks not. Oh uh, so. uh, yeah, I
1: thought it was fine. That's one of the things I really yeah. didn't
2: mind. I think I felt betrayed by it because for me, in my experience, the quality just dipped, like buried the needle in the opposite direction after that scene.
0: Okay. Fair enough, which kind of is-
2: sullied it, honestly. And also, I, I, I don't know what it is. This is just a me thing, but I'm, I'm just done with throat slits, man. It's been done. It's been done. Every time I see it, even if it's a really good movie, I'm like, ugh, really.
0: Part of what I like about this movie, though, is that no two, no two characters get killed the same way.
2: They telegraph is- it too, at the yeah. beginning of the movie, and and it's
0: almost Edgar Wright in its execution. Uh, the yeah, way that I'll it, give gets, it that. yeah the way that that you basically know how every character is going to die based on how they react to Jeremy Melton like oh I'd rather be boiled alive well she dies in a hot tub um maybe later well they end up dating later um she ends up uh saying yes but then claims that he attacked her well then he actually does attack her and kill her at the end of the movie like um as she's dressed as a killer like it's all it's all right there in the first five minutes of the movie.
3: What do we think of that opening scene? Um, Brett, you mentioned how you identified with it 20 years ago, but now you could leave it. I have some thoughts, but I want to.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, 20 years ago, yeah, I was definitely getting rejected that way. I was the nerdy kid that thought he could, you know, ask much more attractive girls out, and I didn't know any better. And I learned my lesson real fast. Um, but, I, you know, 20 years later, I'm like, I get it. Like, he, you know, he just wanted to be accepted. Uh, but, like, it doesn't justify murder. Um, and, I mean, I don't know. I struggle with it a little bit just because, you know, he was still bullied and sent to reform school and, like, had to go... He had to be committed after that, like.
2: But then he grew up to be David Boreanaz, right. so like you get over it real quick when you look in the well, mirror but, like, and you're he David also, Boreanaz. Like, he had to like
1: have a bunch of plastic surgery done, and like that's a level of, I mean, I don't know, like you know, just way more than I do. A level of psychopathy that maybe's out there, like very insane, just to like look like David Boreanaz just so he can go kill some people later.
0: Is. Is it is it misogynistic that he goes after all the girls that rejected him instead of the guys that beat the ever-loving shit out of him, stripped him out of his clothes and beat him? I definitely fully?
1: had that thought as well. Yes, that's yeah, insanely and misogynistic. Again,
0: I, I read another interview with I read a couple interviews with Jamie Blanks today and one of them, they were like, why doesn't he go after the guys? And Jamie Blanks is like, well, that's that's the sequel, um,
1: right? Which is immediately what I thought to answer that question. I'm like, well, that's right. how you do the sequel. I don't
0: know if you're going to if I were to explain it
2: away it would be that you know he's kind of a coward. So of yeah. course he's going to go after mm. the gals instead of the guys that already kicked his ass. You know? Right.
0: They're the they're the easier marks, they're the easier targets. And he's it's a
3: kid like I, I was in 6th grade for Valentine's Day I had a huge crush on this girl named karen i won't say her last name named karen and i bought her a teddy bear and serenaded her to van hagar's why can't this be love it did not work we did not it was not a love connection um and i am someone that got like a lot of rejection back in like middle school and junior high school And so I can empathize a bit with poor Jeremy feeling like completely unwanted, unloved, and like nobody is going to be into him. But my God, he kind of goes through those girls very quickly. Like, do you want to go out with me? No. Do you want to go out with me? No. Like he just wants he doesn't care who any poor in a storm for this poor guy. (laughs) um, What struck me watching this movie again for the show was where are the adults at this dance? Because like that is an absolutely prolonged beat down where first he is stripped of his clothes. Then he is dragged out to the dance floor and then he gets mud stomped. I mean, it is like stone cold Steve Austin circa 1998, right stomping a mud hole dry in jeremy and there's not you don't even see an adult or authority figure come into the frame it's just like that fight scene in dazed and confused where the dude is like yeah if i hit him once people will break it up right away that's how these fight goes like no siree like these kids just wail the piss and you get the carry reference or they dump the punch on them so there's yeah. your horror reference number one um, right, and also, like these like, fucking right. assholes are calling that girl Buffalo. Like, they're like, "Are you you a molesting Buffalo?" Like, what? Like, what the fuck, guys? That is right. just not. That's not right. Not okay. Not, not okay. okay.
0: Yeah, like, like he's the pervert, and she is Buffalo. And like, he's she. She says later in the movie, he's the one guy who paid attention to her all night and she because of his reputation and because of the reputation that she wanted she felt pressure to basically claim that he had he had attacked her Mm -hmm. and and forced her to kiss when in fact like and that's not a yeah i don't i don't care for that much either yeah and i don't
3: blame her for saying that's a lot of peer pressure In that moment, it is kind of hard to not that and look, doing the right. And I talk about this with kids a lot at school, like doing the right thing is hard. Like if it was Mm -hmm. easy to do the right thing all the time, um, we would all be living in a Spike Lee movie and it would just everybody would always be doing the right thing. (laughs) It's hard to do it, especially at that age. (laughs) So basically, as always, my mantra is like, fuck them, kids, because they're the worst.
1: Do your kids understand the Spike Lee
3: reference? Uh, Probably not. Okay.
2: Sorry, Tucker.
0: Yeah, That's okay.
2: I already forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, buddy. (laughs) No big.
0: But yeah, I... uh, Yeah. I mean, again, as someone who got bullied in in high school, um, yeah, I... Weird flashbacks watching that scene, but by the same token, it's... um, Again, does does it justify murder? No. Well,
1: that's no. another thing that I come down on this movie about is that it just seems like everybody's the asshole in this movie. Because, I mean, it's not like the girls grew up to be much better in some cases. They're still making fun of the kid later in life, like, you know, calling him a doofus. And, like, only, you know, only the final girl seems to have some remorse about it. And the rest of them are just like, you know, remembering this it must have been a big deal if they're remembering it like did you remember kids in your sixth grade class when you were like mid to late 30s i didn't
3: i would remember that i would remember the kid that got stripped to his underwear and then uh his ass whooped in the middle of the dance like that would be a formative memory
1: yeah right and like that seems to make it worse for me like it's something that was so bad and so memorable that they still remember the kid's name Mm mm-hmm like, that's just not like that's no. Yeah. They didn't grow up to be no. any better.
3: It's funny because you talk about you talked about identifying with Jeremy when you were younger. Um, one of the things I talk about with kids, when I talk about bullying is when I deal with adult clients in my, in my counseling practice, a lot of the times I'm talking to adults about things that happen to them when they're Jeremy's age. And they are much, much older now. And it's not the physical hurts that they remember, but it is like the verbal rejection and the verbal... Because, you know, a punch in the face hurts for a second. I mean, let's face it. Getting hit, it hurts for a little bit. Um, But kids, especially 6th graders, 7th graders, 8th graders, they could be dumb as tree posts, and most of them are. They could be that stupid, but they have an uncanny ability to know like what is the thing that they can say to somebody who is going to cut at their deepest insecurity like they're very good at sizing someone up and then cutting right to the chase so this is a kid like like you said with being institutionalized afterwards these are some like psychic scars that are
0: not going to go away very easily I think that's why teenagers are still scary to adults. Like you 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 hear like all these comedians talking about why are why am I still scared of teenagers? I'm an adult, I'm a grown ass man or whatever. But teenagers have this weird, insane ability to just kind of like cut to the thing you're most insecure about at any and all times.
1: Very true. That's why I mean that's why I'm afraid of like teenagers and kids. Like just kids in general have a way to just cut you to your core and not care. They terrify me.
3: Oh, yeah. And I get I'm around kids all day long, like K through eight. I am around them all day long. And there are times where they're sitting across from you and you're like, I have no idea what to say to this kid or how I'm going to relate to this kid. It can be difficult.
1: Well, more priority, man. That is... I'm sure that's a thankless job sometimes.
3: It can be. Um, it's okay. Your dog is barking. It's totally okay. Um,
1: we get it. So I can cut this out.
3: You know. You know what's also wild. What we thought of is like what fat was in the late nineties, early two thousands. Because Jessica Capshaw, who plays Dorothy, the Buffalo Girl, in this with a girl called Buffalo, in this movie, and then. And I don't have the performer's name like in front of me. The girl who played like young Dorothy are just normal. Let me find it real quick. Yeah, they're just average-sized women. That like Jessica Capshaw is a very attractive woman in this movie. As is the whole Spielberg's
0: stepdaughter. Yeah. Oh, oh, I did not know that. Oh, that makes sense. Um, Uh, Young Dorothy is played by an actress named Kate Logel. Okay. Or um, Logie. I'm sorry. It's mind
3: blowing what persons thought of as like, oh, this is someone who is like grossly overweight.
0: Um, right. Because it's just the fat shaming is off the charts. In the this body movie. shaming in this movie, and even to some degree, there's some slut shaming in here too. That I'm like, mm. like uh, the whole you've had you know guys in your pants whose last names you didn't know, but I have a guy I've been dating for a month in my house, and you're like, okay, yeah. but like he's in your house yeah. and you've known him for a month, but like, I mean, there's, there's, there the body shaming with, with Dorothy, the, the slut shaming with uh page. It's it. Some, some things that I think kind of age this movie a little bit that we, we probably wouldn't get if, if, and again, I think there's a lot of really interesting subtext here, particularly because this is a movie focused about women and particularly single women in their early thirties, late twenties that were dating. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of subtext here about kind of how awful and honestly kind of scary it is to to be a single woman dating creepy fucking ass men like there is not a single guy in this movie that doesn't come off as a complete fucking creep show. Um And I think that's the point. I don't think this movie is particularly interested in really delving into that and really exploring that, which I think is a real shame because that's I think that's the movie that I kind of want to watch. That's the movie I think is really interesting here. Um, And the movie just kind of is like, that's just like part of the stew. And I think if if we leaned into that element a little more, I think there'd probably be some more interesting things to say. So a remake of this movie, like that kind of leans into that, angle of things. And I, am pretty sure that's been done several more times in in, 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 much better ways, but like that I'm, I'm sitting here watching this going, okay, but are we going to talk about, you know, the guy who breaks into her apartment to try on her underwear? Are we going to talk about the guy who constantly refers to himself in third person? Are we going to talk about the guy who is nice enough, but is an abusive alcoholic? Um, Are we going to talk about the guy who's a straight up fucking con man? Like none of these guys are good. And yet these are the best options that these ladies seem to be the guy who just, you know, Oh, I have a surprise for you. It's my penis. Um, And I was joking. Like I was watching this with my girlfriend last night and I was joking like, Oh, it's going to be his penis. It was his penis. And I was just
1: like, what the fuck? See, I'm sorry, Tucker. Go ahead.
2: I I was going to go off on a completely different direction. So if you have anything else to say about what we're currently talking about, you should probably say it now. Okay.
1: Uh, I was just going to say that if you want a horror movie that sort of touches on that sort of aspect, go watch Fresh. Fresh is good. I did see Fresh
0: earlier this year. My review of Fresh on Letterboxd, men suck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fresh is
3: a fun watch. I think you can kind of see everything that's going to happen in that movie about five minutes before it does. But the performances are fun. I... What I like about this movie is that the men are all on the periphery. Because you're right, there are no good choices in this movie. Like you have like Max, the quote unquote artist, who Mm. is like skeevy threesome dude, Uh, and again looks like if James Vanderbeek and Colin Farrell from the late '90s like meshed together is like the Wonder Twins. Like that's what. (laughs) what max would that they have max um right you have like jason who's just who thinks he's the rock and is referring to himself in the third person throughout the whole thing there are no good choices and to be honest like none of the men are important so we're going to kind of put them in the background they're going to be our red herrings but Mm -hmm. they're not easy they're not interesting enough in any way to focus on what i like is you do have the friendship between These half dozen young women, and that they're not always good people. I mean, you have Page at the, and this is going to date the movie like the speed dating that you have, like the precursor to Tinder. You have like the speed dating and the one video dating too. Oh yeah, the video dating. dating. (laughs) Um, And I think at this at the party, like it's interesting because like all of those dudes make their way to this party afterwards. Like there's the one like super awkward dude. Um, I think he's the one talking about his mother who you see at the party like as Kate's coming down the stairs he tries to talk to her and then completely is like nope she doesn't want to give me the time of day he's like the Shermanator of the group Um, (laughs) I you know Paige like totally like hones in on the one person that Kate is kind of interested in Mm -hmm. I do like that the women are a bit more sexually aggressive than you typically see in these movies like they're not exact but at the same time they are confident enough in their at least not all of them but like Paige and lily in particular are confident enough in their sexuality where they're not going to settle so with lily mm. when you know max springs uh surprise threesome on her it's like no i'm not into this i'm not gonna do it you can go fuck yourself and then walks off to get got like 20 seconds later you have right. um Catherine hegel's character who is only in it really brief she's like this date is awful like i would much go rather play with a corpse than go out with this guy again and page everyone is into her she's not going to settle and when people are too aggressive with her she puts them in their place and does it really well like that wax scene is fucking it's a riot
0: yeah. And the the build up to it in particular is is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuz um, she's
3: what, yeah. She's into that guy. I mean, she's the one he's the one that she kind of came on to at speed dating and she's mm-hmm. into dancing with him at the party, but she wants to be pursued. She doesn't want to just be like another notch. So, you move too fast and she's going to say fuck off, dude. So I I like that. I do enjoy that about and I like that the movie is about their friendships and their, it's not all about their boyfriends, which is what you typically see in these movies.
0: Yeah. And again, I like, I, I do also like the idea of a, of a horror movie focus, a slasher movie focused on the women. And I think that's one of the things I really like about the original Black Christmas too, because that's a very similar kind of thing where it's very focused on, I mean, it, Bob Clark would say it's more of a psychological thriller and the psychological thrill of the movie is what if, what if you were a woman, what Mm -hmm. does it feel like to be a woman? Like that's the whole point of, of black Christmas. And I think what future episode of this podcast, black Christmas, like what makes it such a great movie and, and a movie that's been remade twice now in very different contexts, in very different ways. And Mm -hmm. honestly, we could probably cover all three of those movies on this podcast at some point or another. I think we should. Oh, it's on the list. All three of them are, actually.
3: Tookie, you wanted a different tangent, so where are we headed here?
2: Uh, you know, like I said before, this movie kind of goes in one ear and out the other, but what what is the setting of this? Are they at college? Why do they live Post- in a college. mansion? How old are they? What? How are they all still together? Like, how what's that we- house?
0: Catherine Heigl's, house? I don't think they all live together. Catherine Heigl's character. They're all is, in that
2: house, man. No, they're she's not. In it's Fingles. like the only setting in the entire movie except for well, the yeah, house is the These
0: Richards and, uh, and, uh, and Lily, like uh, Paige and Lily, like, are like, living together in an apartment. That's where the flowers are. Oh, yeah. Water. Kate's got her own That's apartment. The... That's where the iron's always on. For That's some where the reason. Time she's...
2: traveling happens in their apartment.
0: Right. She's got the perennial iron on all the time in her apartment, at Kate's apartment. And then. Um, uh, Jessica Capshaw's character um, Dorothy is the one that lives in the mansion right and that's okay. because I was gonna her, say who lives in the rich. mansion yeah she has
3: the okay. stepmother that's younger than her mm-hmm. and uh, like she's rich I mean her thing is like she's super wealthy and right. dad has married like a new young trophy wife exactly who's and, and probably about her age
2: dad has a very ineffective uh, gun security cabinet
1: that effective. just
0: seems very ineffective across the board honestly <laughs> like uh you need to respect my wife and that's the one line of dialogue we hear from this that's man it. in this entire movie like that's they decide
2: it. to put those two characters in this movie for that scene and make it seem like yeah. that they're going to have anything to do with anything else yeah. and we never see them again
3: nope sure don't she's unnecessarily <gasps> mean to her stepmom mm. too like the stepmom is not being an ogre by any stretch, until um, Dorothy is just straight out. that just Dorothy is—you can. She's the insecure one of the bunch. Like all of right. those insecurities from grade school are manifesting themselves in that. Like she's living on the treadmill and stairmaster. Yep. She is micromanaging her calories. She mm-hmm. is volatile. She's extremely insecure around uh her potential love interest who good for her that dude's a scuzz bag um but she doesn't she can't recognize
0: it even though it's pretty clear even when she's literally confronted with the evidence she Mm -hmm. does she refuses to believe it
1: well i mean potentially with my theory she does put an ax in his back that's true so right after you know she has the run-in with him where like he couldn't perform. He's bailing on her for the party, and then all of a sudden the pilot lights out in the basement and he gets an axe in his back. That's a coincidence.
2: Hmm.
3: Which I do like how that is framed, where you see the axe in the background, and then it's gone. A couple of shots later, it's gone. A little bit of foreshadowing. I do enjoy that. I'm a sucker for that kind of that kind of style.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Can't agree.
0: Yeah. Like, look, I and again, I feel like there's 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 some there's some cool stuff happening here in this movie. Like this is why I can't completely write it off. Like I are, are look, is does it does it feel at times like a WB made for TV movie? Yeah, it kind of does. Um, but like at the end of the day, I think the killer's like got a cool design. Like, does the ending make much sense? Not really. Um, does does but does the killer look cool? Yeah. Are some of the kills pretty awesome? Yeah. Um, like those little, like attention to detail moments. Are those pretty rad? Yeah. I mean, is there the potential for a good movie in here? Yeah. And so at the end of the day, like, is this, is this awful? No, but it's not great either. Like I, i kind of fall right in the middle on this movie. Like there are things I like about it. There are things I don't. Is it one that I'm going to rush out to own? Probably not. But can I see why someone might really enjoy this movie? Yeah, I, I, I I get it. Like I, I can see why someone might dig on it.
1: I guess I sort yeah. of do after talking to Mike about it, but no, I still hate it. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it didn't improve I, my score, I, I, but at least I, I understand it.
2: it. Here's the deal: I love movies with potential too. Objectively bad movies with potential. Take "A uh, Book of Shadows," Blair Witch, two for example. Ooh, I Yikes. love that movie because there's so much, there's so much potential there. You can tell that there's yeah. a good movie in there somewhere. Is yeah. there? And maybe if the studio hadn't recut it and filmed additional scenes without the original director, well, maybe it would be really good.
3: Let's let's talk Joe Berlinger's mindset going into that movie. I mean, mm-hmm. he was on the record of because Blair Witch Project is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Like, I got to see that opening night when I was playing five cities and I walked back into my apartment after literally a 90 minute drive home. My roommate happened to walk out of his room when I walked in and I screamed at two o'clock in the
2: morning. Um, Can I ask you something? Um, Did you, did you know that it wasn't real when you watched it?
3: I had only heard of the movie like two weeks before that and knew it wasn't real, but it was like that early days of the internet (laughs) where I had gone oh. on to the site and had divvied, I think just like my love for pro wrestling, I was able to suspend my disbelief and go, well, so I didn't feel, and I think the backlash against the Blair Witch Project came when people are like, wait a minute, it's not real. Oh, I fucking hate this movie now. Um, I loved being duped. Sure. Commercials.
1: Right. Yeah,
2: when I, well, when I saw it, like, I wasn't paying attention to the internet and, you know, I was just doing my thing. I was in high school, so I, you know, I had girls and music and stuff and I wasn't really like on the internet looking Mm -hmm. at movie stuff. So going into it, I knew there had been a documentary on sci-fi. I knew they had a website, Um, but still it wasn't clear on whether it was something that was real or not. And me being the age I was, like, I wasn't smart enough to be like, yeah, it's obviously not real. And so there was, after I saw it, probably a good couple days where I was like, I don't I don't know, man. I don't know if that's real or not. And I,
3: even knowing it was fake, I think walked out of it still thinking like the same thing you were because the movie was just that effective for me. Mm-hmm. And then you have Berlinger telling uh, Merrick in, and um, Sanchez... I hate what you did as a documentarian filmmaker. It's insulting to me what you did because I, you're, I am out here promoting the truth and let's face it. Even documentaries are artifice to a certain degree because you are putting your own subjective spin. I don't care who you are. There's a level of subjectivity to any sort of
0: filmmaking. So he kind of the, went, the camera into... kind of removes objectivity because exactly. on some level, if you know the cameras there, you're performing mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. So it, it,
3: book of shadows is one of the few movies where i walked out of it feeling like angry at the movie for existing and not in a way where it made me like think or recontextualize the original movie but i'm just like this is awful like this just takes a big fucking steaming dump on the first movie and it's not well acted it's not well Done. It doesn't make a lick of sense. The ending still doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, I've tried more than a few times to give that movie a fair shake, but I would so much rather take a movie like this, like Valentine, which is at least, co- it's, you know, are there areas where you're like, okay, they could be edited better, could be a bit tighter, but it's not incoherent. I understand the characters' motivations at the end of the day. I understand what the interpersonal relationships are in the movie. Um, and I don't feel like this movie is trying to insult me like, say, something like Book of Shadows is trying to do, which is which is basically very much in a much less artful way than Haneke in Funny Games is saying, how dare you, sir, enjoy this kind of movie? You know, right. where Haneke has actually, like, is an auteur and has talented filmmaking. Berlinger is a great documentarian, but not a skillful narrative
2: filmmaker.
0: Oh, don't get me started. Just like I was Too would. late. We've already gotten you started, Mike. No, you, I, we got you wound up.
2: I agree with a lot of the things that you've said about that film, but I still unabashedly love it.
0: And that's okay.
3: Yeah,
1: it's well, okay it's, to it, like a like, movie.
2: I... I don't know if that's going to make sense to people because like with this movie like you, I, I get what you're saying about a lot of the things in these movies or in this movie excuse me but I still it doesn't affect how I see it really I still didn't have a good time it's still not something that I'd want to watch again sure. and I feel like you, it, we're, we're like opposite twinsies with this <laughs> and Blair Witch 2 so to not understand I think in this case is to understand
3: yeah. and I will say in the case of Blair Witch 2. I have such affection for that first movie that I don't necessarily, I don't it never should have had a sequel. Agreed.
2: What would you think of the third one?
3: It's fun. It's a roller coaster. I, I legitimately right. don't I remember it. I thought it was it. okay. Yeah.
2: I thought it was pretty alright. It's like the first Are...
0: movie sped up, basically. I remember the first one because it's really good. I remember the second one because it's really bad. I don't remember the third <laughs> one no. at all.
1: Brett, have you played the game that came out? I was just about to ask how do we feel about the video game? Yes, please. Uh, I thought it was fine. Yeah, we know, Stephen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it was fine. Okay. Oh,
2: I couldn't get through it give me motion sickness. There's mm-hmm. a lot of games I'd love to play that I just can't because I'll barf if I do.
1: Yeah. I'm very lucky the first person games don't ever give me motion sickness. So Yes,
2: I'm super jealous. Not going to
0: What else do we have to say about 2001's Valentine, gentlemen?
1: Well, there wasn't a video game, so nothing (laughs) Um, for me.
3: I'll say that Jessica Caulfield didn't have enough of a run as a comedian. Like, Mm. There's a, a small stretch of movies... That she's in from this time period, and then she seems to kind of disappear from Hollywood. And I don't know if that is by choice or if she just didn't get um, enough opportunity. But she is, you know, in the Legally Blonde movies. She is in uh, the second uh, Urban Legends movie, which is actually a pretty fun follow-up, and she's really funny in this movie. And I think I really I like agree. the energy that she brings to this movie, and I kind of wish she was in more things. Um, Marley Shelton, obviously, we know her and love her from the Scream movies, Deputy uh, Judy, of, yep, de- and a bunch of other things. Grindhouse, I think she's yeah. in one of those. She's not that great here. Not much. She's I I put in my like my the notes in my head. I'm like she's no Sydney Prescott.
0: No, I've, And in fact, I think I've seen all of these actors, with the exception of maybe one or two of them, be better in other things. Yeah. And and I'm kind of, and again, there's the, a part of this in terms of just like the way it's filmed and the way that it, the dialogue is kind of read and and the fact that it's these people, it feels like a made for TV WB movie with just a lot more gore and a lot more language mm-hmm. and a little bit more sex. Like it, it feels like something that would have run on the WB in the early two thousands. Because again, it's it's kind of these people. It, that's kind of what the movie is, and that's, I mean, that, that, that's fine. But again, it, you're you're just kind of remembering. Oh, wait, this came out in theaters. This was a cinematic movie with a budget that got released and made money. Like, hmm agreed. So yeah, just Definitely again,
1: agree.
0: yeah. To me, to me, it, it. And again, part of that I think is the scripts, um, which again to double back on the fact that this is a movie based on a novel and a thing that my girlfriend and I both, when we were watching this movie last night kind of went, wait, what? This was based on a novel, And so I looked up the novel. I kind of want to read the novel because apparently the novel is very different from this movie. Like this is kind of one of those adaptation and name only kind of things Um, based on the plot synopsis of the novel. it, it, It looks like it's a very different thing. In fact, uh, in one of the interviews I read with Jamie Blanks today, he says, uh, well, what do you want to do for the sequel? Uh, he goes, I don't know. Someone should probably just, you know, do a faithful adaptation of the novel. It's really good. This had a $30 million budget. The numbers is telling about. me 10. was The production budget was 10 million. I'm looking at budget, $29 million. Okay, Okay. What website are you on? Box office Mojo. Okay, I'm on the numbers. Okay. So, yeah, uh,
2: IMDb has 29 million estimated as well.
0: Okay, that, and that may be factoring in um, that may be factoring promotion. In promotion and things like that. Maybe yeah. they had a Super
2: Bowl high.
0: commercial. The, the cheapest movie ever with a Super Bowl commercial is what I read on okay. IMDb.
3: God, because none of the I mean, with the exception of Denise Richards, who was coming off of being a Bond girl, or was in the mm-hmm. same year? Yeah, because I mean, this like is this, kind of she her filmed peak. this immediately after James Bond. Okay, but th- she's still not commanding a, you know, maybe low seven figures, maybe. maybe. Yeah, but Catherine Heigl, like this is pre Grey's Anatomy. This is when James Borjanis well.
0: is a name. But not, but he, again, he's a name from television. Yeah. And it's so this is,
3: and not even network television. It's the WB. Right. And exactly. this is his, like, I just want to get into feature films. Um, that blows my mind. I mean, like how much, again, looking at the soundtrack, like how much of that went to licensing music
0: maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it doesn't feel like they spent a lot of money on the cast um and the the effects budget doesn't seem super intense like there's not a lot of effects here they couldn't uh, apparently... even get
2: the nosebleed right at the end like it's clearly not coming out of his nose someone mm-hmm. took a Q tip and went boop yep and i can and... only i can imagine like uh, david Boreanis, i don't know him personally um but I can imagine a scenario where the effects person tries to put it, the Q-tip up his nose. And he's like, get that shit out of my nose. And they just leave it. And that's, that's, that's <laughs> why it's in the movie. <laughs> of course, this is all uh, theoretical. I don't know Shots David Borealis. Fired. You know? Right? I don't know. He may be the nicest person ever. I, have, I haven't heard either about him. So, I just um, thought it's a funny little anecdote that's something I created in my brain
0: oh damn it now you made me forget what i was gonna say curses that's what i'm um, here for that's you do it well man don't don't let the no wild card that's it that's why we brought you yeah. in <laughs> um but yeah no this movie I, I don't know like it's um i mean you get a cast of it's it's mostly tv people um or or kind of relative unknowns now they would all mostly go on to do other things both uh Catherine heigl and uh, Jessica Capshaw, or on Grey's Anatomy. David Boreanaz is pretty much like the TV guy. Denise Richards would go on to marry Charlie Sheen. Heaven help her. Um, Marley Shelton would go on to to be in you know some other uh, bigger horror films as as she went on. But like, so this kind of feels like a kind of a weird relic. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, apparently, people were getting hurt constantly on this movie um apparently the guy who was in charge of like stunts uh was bad the stunt coordinator is like just a guy who like was like he'd been around for a while and people like used him but apparently he was not very concerned with people's safety like uh the scene where like uh the person uh someone swings a pool cue at at the cherub's head and it it breaks um apparently it, they didn't have the breakaway pool cue. Like they didn't make sure that they had the breakaway pool cue. And so he took the producer's son, who was the cherub took the full force of a pool cue to his head and was very nearly concussed as a result. Um, Denise Richards in the hot tub scene had a stunt double for one shot. And it was the shot where the cherub like shoves her into the water. Um, and the, uh, the, the stunt, uh, performer got, uh, her face all cut up on the jets. Ooh. Um, like it was, and, and again, Jamie Blanks is like, people are not supposed to get hurt on film sets. And so many people were getting hurt on this film set that at one point I had to pull the stunt coordinator aside and go, no one else gets hurt on this movie Um, because apparently people were just getting hurt left and right on this movie. That's nuts. yeah. That's not good.
1: No. no it's terrible to hear.
0: Yeah. Truly. You hate to hear it. Um so Valentine opens February 2nd in the year of our Lord 2001. Uh it opens number 1 at the box office. Baby. God. Really? It Look, it's no. February, man. February is like the wasteland when it comes to movies.
1: No. So if what you got it a going, new... what,
2: what did it open with? What else opened that week? Could you
1: tell me that? Well, I'm also, sorry. there's no there's no better time to take Titanic. your date out for Valentine's Day than a horror
0: movie. I was looking at the dailies. It actually opened at number 2 that weekend. Uh, It opened at number two. It got $12 million in its opening weekend. Um, And uh, in number one, in its second weekend, holding steady at one from the previous week is the wedding planner. uh, The movie that dares to ask the question, what if there was a wedding planner? Uh, In number two, Valentine in third, we have cast away holding steady at third. Uh, The great Robert Zemeckis film that in seven weeks, that has grossed over $200 million. Um, in fourth place, uh, crouching tiger, hidden dragon, which in nine weeks has gotten 54.9 million. That one I think is working its way. I think that's just been in wide release for just a couple weeks at this point. And in fifth place, it's save the last dance, uh, rounding out the top 10. You have uh, Steven Soderbergh's traffic in sixth place, uh, a new release head over heels in seventh guy, Ritchie's snatch in eighth. Sean Connery's Finding Forrester in ninth place, and uh, eventual uh, Best Picture nominee Chuck-a-Lot in 10th place.
1: You're the man now, dog.
0: You're the man now, dog.
1: Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you.
0: Oh, yeah. Finding Forrester. the only thing that could
2: break me of that. Like, as soon as you said Finding Forrester, I just.
0: I I, I, I I toggled over to another tab and I come back to this tab and you and Brett are just losing your <laughs> damn minds and I can't fucking figure it out until Brett says you're the man now dog and you start clapping and I'm like, okay, they were waiting for that
2: got it Good times
0: uh the tomatometer score on Valentine is an eleven percent. The critics' consensus Valentine is basically a formulaic throwback to conventional pre scream slasher flicks. Critics say it doesn't offer enough suspense or scares to justify its addition to the genre. Um, the meta score is 18 with overwhelming dislike based on 17 critical reviews. And the letterbox score is a 2.6. Mike, as our guest, out of five stars, how do you rank 2001's Valentine? I'm giving it three
3: stars. Yeah. I think it's a good. Like, I am not here to say like this is one of the greatest films ever made and like a pinnacle of horror movies, but it is a sure. solid. You know, like um, you know, Brett, I heard you like oh, who's gonna go to a date on like Valentine's? But that like horror movies are typically no. like a fun.
1: That's what I was saying. Oh, no, okay. I, mean, I was saying it's the perfect date to take somebody yeah. on Valentine's Day. It yeah.
3: is a fun little date movie. Uh, it's a very attractive cast. I think the cast has a lot of energy. I love the look of the killer. It's a solid three out of five for me.
0: Right on. Brett?
1: One. One singular star.
0: One star for Brett and Tucker?
1: Uh, that's
2: a half a star, and that half a star goes to David Boreanaz's hair. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) The
0: hates. Right? I just... The, just the sheer disrespect.
2: Um, I'm sorry. No, that half a star is out of respect for Mike. Okay.
0: And David Boreanaz's hair. <laughs> you just wanted to wave your fingers over your head again. I, just,
2: I really like to do that. I don't know.
0: I see that. Yeah. Um, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. It is always a pleasure to have you on. What's Let's not wait rating? a year to have you on again.
1: Steven, what's your score? What's your star rating?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. My score, 2.5. It's a two and a half from me.
2: And also, wait before before we go, we have to do the thing that we haven't been doing, but we should have been doing, and now we're doing it. So shut the fuck up.
1: Yes, that segment. Does this movie deserve a sequel? That's a much <laughs> better name for this. <laughs> sequel. Ah, I like the other one better. You're right, you're <laughs> we're, right, we're
2: committed you're
0: right. now. We're in. In yeah, for a penny, yeah. in for a pound. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I think I think I know how Brett and Tucker are going to answer that question. Uh, you'd
2: be surprised, because yeah, man, like. Because the dude's still out there. It has to have a sequel. Am I going to watch it? Fuck no. But it needs to have one. Fair like, enough. Make that shit. Do it right now.
1: Yeah. Complete the story. Or remake it. I'm cool with a remake, too. Because um, there's people who like this movie and want to know.
0: See, I would be cooler with a remake than a sequel, personally. Uh,
1: particularly... I was against that and thought it was a ridiculous idea when you first brought it up. But I'm like, you know what? Novel. <laughs> you know, there's a novel. Remake it yeah. based on the novel. hmm I'm
3: gonna go with no, even though I like this movie. Cause I think it's a nice standalone slasher, and I don't necessarily need a franchise out of it. I think it tells a good, complete story, but then we can leave it at that. Fair like is enough. she gonna Word. is is like David Boriana's gonna go through her like friends from, like, seventh grade and then eighth grade and then high school, you know? I mean, if that's the premise of the the movie, like, no. Like, he had a group of, like, young ladies that he was pissed off at. And, yeah, you could go after the dudes in the next movie, but I don't know if I want 90 minutes of, like, bro culture and then have, like, one, each one, you know, get off, especially early 2000s bro culture. It would be, like... Right. It would be, like, offing... A
0: uh, movie full of stiflers, right? That's a special kind of toxic, yeah. right? Yeah. Honestly, if we could get, like, a Valentine American Pie crossover where the cherub is, like, picking off the main characters in American mm-hmm. Pie. Right. Be I'd like pay a... to see that. One time, Cupid Face shoved a flute up her pussy and killed
3: her.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Cool. And, so about those socials uh, and, and
0: on that and note, wanna, <laughs>
1: let's wrap this up. How about on that note? Um, and on that
0: note, Mike, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us uh, again. Let's not wait a, a full year to have you back on uh, the show. Tell us about uh, what's going on uh, these days with uh, the pod and the pendulum and psychoanalysis, please. Sure. So the Pod of the pendulum
3: is my, sh- is the show where we cover horror movie franchises and we, Each episode devoted to, like, the next movie in the series. So we recently wrapped up Phantasm, which was really fun uh, because it was a new series for me. And it's one where the making of—it's one where, like, the first movie is a classic and the others I could take or leave. But the the behind-the-scenes, like, how these movies got made, each—like, the first, the fourth, and the fifth in particular are all pretty fascinating. We're moving on to the Purge franchise, which is going to be the newest series Ooh. we've ever covered. Um, but if there's a horror movie franchise that's out there, chances are we've covered it. Psycho... Are you going to do the
2: Purge show as well or just the I movies?
3: Don't think so because I don't think I'm going to have time to watch like 20 hours of television. Maybe that'll be a Patreon thing, but even then like it's just it's pretty hard because like Uh, The idea behind the pot of the pendulum, like when we finish a series, I want whoever was listening to it to go. I really don't need to hear another episode from anyone about these movies. Like we really try to create like a historical document about where these movies exist in their time and place, uh, in the context of their day. We dive pretty deep into the backgrounds of the movies, as well as like any, political sociological and mental health themes on them and then sometimes we just get really silly because you know 2017's leatherface deserves that kind of treatment as well so i don't it's like it's a lot of prep for a lot of the movies i don't know Mm -hmm. if we would be able to hit like 20 hours of tv and do it any sort of justice but maybe we'll see
0: if people ask for it i mean i wouldn't say no um you you just created a, a dangerous precedent because Tucker's mm. going to just be writing in like crazy asking for No, that <laughs> no, no,
2: no, no. I, I watched like half of it. It sucked because like the way it started, there was so much cool stuff happening and then it just really slowed yeah. down. Yeah. And I just stopped watching it. So I was probably things- better off not watching it. I was just wondering if you had seen it, honestly. I oh, watched
3: okay. the first couple episodes and mm. it didn't hook me in. And I think like you said, like it really slowed down. I, I'm like, I had a really hard time wondering how this was gonna play out over ten hours because you're essentially watching one night play out in real time, and I just don't think I had the patience. Like, there's too much other good stuff out there. Would I think was my my feeling about it. Mm. Um, but you know, if there's any Purge, too much TV, yeah, I mean, if there's any Purge TV fans out there that feel differently. You know, write to me. Um, psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast. That is a show I do with Jen, uh, Jen Adam. Sorry, uh, Jen Ferratu of The Losers Club, and Lara Undersall. Both of them are in a current hiatus as they just kind of take care of themselves. But that is where we dive into how mental health is depicted in the genre. So we have movies on like toxic relationships, COVID um Psychopathy, depression, anxiety. Uh, if there's a mental uh, paranoia, if there's a mental health topic out there, like we've kind of covered it. If for February, um, we're doing toxic— re- not really toxic relationships, but issues that come up with couples. And we've done possession, an American Werewolf in London, uh, Ty West X. So, and we also do comfort horror episodes, which are not quite as mental health focused. But I've had a ton of amazing guests step in for Lara and Jen. Um, yeah, so it's been a real journey, and I think the episodes have still been really strong. So that is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast. You can find me on the socials at Mike underscore Snooney and over on Twitter, and MikeChumpChange over at Letterboxd instagram mike underscore snoonian but why would you want to do that i mean <laughs> honest to god if you've heard this and you're like i want more of that guy then i don't know i just i don't know what to tell you
0: uh you can also find uh, uh pod the pendulum you can find on on twitter as well yep pod and pen you go
3: to pod and pendulum.com all our episodes are there we have 170 odd episodes at this point so right on and uh psychoanalysis psychoapod, i believe um not super active it's just like hey here's the new episode um and here's a nice little picture of it and then go listen to it so you know like i'm not the biggest social media person
0: it just tends to be a very toxic hellscape for a lot it of does us. yeah so yeah and I've I've been on uh, several yeah. episodes of Pod and Pendulum. Been on yep. a couple episodes of uh, Psychoanalysis. Brett and I joined you to talk about the Child's Play remake last mm-hmm. year. So there's there's yep. some there's some fun stuff out there. If you if you like this, let's be honest. If you if you like this podcast and you haven't listened to the Pod and the Pendulum or Psychoanalysis, uh, you're kind of doing it backwards. So get over there and check out what Mike's doing. I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of horror podcasts out there. Pod and the Pendulum very much my favorite and not I just because mike that. has me on it was my it was my favorite before i even got on yeah so there
3: are and i want to give a quick sh- and i appreciate that um like halloweenies kill by kill new flash um are some of the really good and there's like a new one i'm listening to i want to say like there be the scares or um the people under the stairs podcast i think which is run by two black co-hosts that are like super funny and super queer and super awesome i think it's people under the scares um i just started listening to it and have really enjoyed it so there are no shortage of amazing horror pods out there and to be
0: ever discussed in that mix is like i don't know it's kind of nice right on well mike again always a pleasure uh, you can find the disenfranchise podcast at Disenfranch Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook. Uh, you can shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh let us know how we're doing. Let us know if there's a failed franchise starter you'd like to see us cover. Uh, maybe you want us to try to push the Black Christmases to the front of the line in our holiday and uh, in our in our holiday season episodes, maybe toward the end of this year. Shoot us an email, let us know what you're thinking. Or if you just want to say hi, who knows? We might even read it here on the podcast. Also, if you'd be so kind, please swing over to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a nice five-star rating and review. Uh, We really do appreciate it. That's going to help us find more people like you. And and help silence the haters who've just decided to rate us one star out of spite. Um, Curses. Um, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxed at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you?
1: Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxed at sus underscore warlock.
0: And Tucker,
2: um, one of my preservation videos has 978 views. Look at you! I know, I know. I'm so proud.
0: I won't I won't tell um, you how many views my latest TikTok video has gotten.
2: Did you know did you know that ninety percent of my audience is sixty-five plus male? I believe it. I
3: believe
0: that. Yeah. With without uh, yeah. a problem, I believe that.
2: Uh, no, not my it's not my music, you crazy sons of bitches. The the preservation stuff, those no, I know. that I put on the okay. No, I know. I'm not the one attracting old men. It's the songs I'm, the vinyl. Although, let's be honest,
0: if they saw on. your face, you'd probably be attracting old men yeah, as well. Don't sell yourself short yeah. there.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, nev- I never would. I, I I know I got it. <laughs> anyway, speaking of YouTubes, I'm on the YouTube.com, not the YouTube.com, excuse me, HTTP, back, sorry, I won't, YouTube.com slash Ice909, that's I-C-E-N-I-N-E, the number zero and the number nine.
0: Speaking of, of records, Tucker, is that the soundtrack for Josie and the Pussycats? I see on your turntable (laughs) behind you better
2: believe it is Steven.
0: Hells. Yes. I, that is, that is a movie. I cannot wait to cover on this podcast one day. I fucking love Josie and the Pussycats.
2: I'm excited, oh. too, because I love that movie as well. Pick up that Blu-ray, Steven. It's good stuff. I need to.
0: I need to. I I, I kind of want to oh. wait for the 4K, but the Blu-ray took forever, so I'm just going to pick up the Blu-ray.
2: Okay, cl- close out the podcast, Steven. I got something else to show you that's Pussycats related. All
0: right, right on. Um, well, that's all for 2001's Valentine. We hope you guys enjoyed it, and we hope you had a great Valentine's Day. Um, from all of us here at the disenfranchised podcast uh for myself steven foxworthy my co-host brett Wright, and tucker and our very special guest mike snoonian until next time love is in the air everywhere i look around